welcome to the podcast that takes a light-hearted look at lesser-known London stories with your own personal blue badge professional tourist guides. She's Fiona. And she's Alex. And this is the Ladies in London podcast. Happy Wednesday, gang. It's Cleopatra coming at ya. Well, it's not really. It's Alex. And again, Fiona and I, so busy. We've not been able to... Um, our diaries together to top and tail this episode but I'm here and I'm saying hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Ladies Who London podcast. I hope you're well and have had a great week. It is busy 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 over here in London town. Um, this is a little bit late this week uh, just being posted because uh, yesterday when I would normally edit and upload uh, I was out at Windsor Castle uh, for a very exciting thing. My dad got an honour uh, in the New Year's honours list. And um, those of you who've listened to the podcast before, when my dad was on, which was shortly after the Queen's funeral, will know that he used to be a gentleman usher to the, well, Queen, now King. Um, and he retired at the age of 70 a couple of months ago, which is what you have to do when you get to 70. They're like, get out! Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Um, <laughs> so, Bain, you know, it's a nice little handshake. They give you a, a lovely award. So he's Lieutenant of the Victorian Order now. So more letters to add to his name. But it was a wonderful day. We had Princess Anne uh, doing the, the handing out because, of course, all the others are up to other stuff and having treatment and things like that. Um, but, yeah, it was really lovely. And, you know, nerdily exciting for me, I got to go into some areas of Windsor Castle that you don't normally get to go in. But also, at the same time, getting an honour was the crown jeweller. So, of course, yours truly had to go and press him for information and uh, get nerdily excited about all of that. But it was a lovely day. And uh, so I'm doing this in a bit of a rush on a Wednesday morning. So I think, um, before we get into the podcast itself... Just to let you know, tickets for our live show are very nearly sold out. There's not a huge amount left. So if you want to come, get your skates on, book those flights over from Australia or America or wherever else you are. Don't think that that's going to excuse you. It's, it's you know, be there or be square, gang. So, uh, yeah, make sure that you, you've got your, your slot if you want to come along. And other than that, I think we'll wait till next week when Fiona and I are together to let you know any other news that's coming up. So for this week... Let's get straight into the episode. Now, this is one we have been threatening for some time. Uh, and when I say some time, I mean, well, literally since the start. So what, two and a half years? Um, it's cropped up quite a number of times, although in no great detail. But that is all about to be changed because we're about to learn all about the Great Exhibition. The Times newspaper oh, said... she's starting big, gang. She's starting big. <laughs> in advance of this event so i don't know the exact date 18 let's say 1849 50 something like that the times said that hyde park will become a, a bivouac of vagabonds that kensington and uh, belgravia will be uninhabitable and the season would be ruined oh like a bivouac of vagabonds that isn't I want that, that a phrase? T-shirt, man. I want that T-shirt. <laughs> that is incredible. So what? What were they talking about there? They were talking about uh, the thing that became known as the Great Exhibition. Yay! Uh, we do love a great in London. We We've got love. the Great Fire, the Great yep. Stink, and the Great. In fact, it was officially it was the Great Exhibition. Of, uh, of great exhibition of works of industry of all nations. Hmm. So actually, officially, it was called a great exhibition. Um, and it took place for six months in Hyde Park. And um, in 1851. In 1851. Yeah. <laughs> and was kind of effectively the wor first World Trade Fair. Do you know, I'm so glad we're doing this as a topic because we have talked around the great exhibition for the yep. whole three years of this podcast, there's been so many times <laughs> when Emily and I at the start were kind of going, oh, this, that and the other, which of course is part of the great exhibition. Oh, we should do that. And we never have. But it's such a, a an important event in London's calendar. that I'm, I'm thrilled we're doing it. And that's exactly because there's so many things that it pops up in tangentially or yep. things that it goes on to or stuff. Yep. And I was looking at the list of your your 
past episodes and things i was going through it for something and i was like oh you've done you've done the 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 um festival of britain yeah but you haven't done the great oh okay okay let's get in there so and i used to regularly do a walk around south kensington so we would we would go um uh, albertopolis is the whole area Mm. really was so influenced by the great exhibition because of all of those museums and things around there were set up basically using the the profits of the exhibition or using in the land that was bought by the exhibition so the whole of that area so we're talking like natural history museum vna science museum we're talking all of that bit all of that royal 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 college of music albert hall imperial college that whole block um was um in the sort of set up in the aftermath in the, in the is the legacy physical mm. legacy but where the actual exhibition was there is absolutely nothing to see and i no. quite i quite like that sort of weird uh thing um so so what what was it what what was the point of it <laughs> um it was um well the, the people in charge said we are persuaded that if the artistic manufactures are not appreciated, it is because they are not widely enough known. We believe that when works of high merit of British origin are brought forward, they will be fully appreciated and therefore uh, and thoroughly enjoyed. This exhibition, when thrown open to all, will tend to improve the public taste. Oh, and we need improving, do we? We need improving. Yeah. So there was there was kind of various strands that came together. Um, but one of the ones which I like most in a way is the idea that they in, in Britain, we were getting better at mass producing stuff. We were getting more sort of big manufacturing getting going. But there was a worry that we were losing the idea of good design mm. and that we should celebrate the good design and and indeed the, the good manufacturing when it existed. Um, and that the more we see stuff and see good stuff the more we will enjoy it and also the more we will buy it. Yeah. But, you know, we'll be inspired to create it as well. So it's it's very much in line with the ideas of the V&A uh, museum as well, mm. not surprisingly. And not surprisingly, also, there's a man in common, uh, Mr. Henry Cole, first director ah. of the V&A, was also very involved. He was a member of the Royal Society of Arts, as we know it now, what was then the Royal Society of Arts and Manufactures. So again, manufacturers, <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, and he and Prince Albert are the two kind of main people that often get talked about in terms mm. of the driving forces behind the Great Exhibition. Well, that's what I was thinking, because Prince Albert's normally the name, for those who don't know, Queen Victoria's husband, um, associated with the Great Exhibition. But yeah, you, you hadn't mentioned him yet. So obviously, is, he one, is it one of those things where they kind of go to him and go, this is a good idea. And he goes, yes, it is. Yes. And they go, oh, it's Prince Albert's idea. I think, I'm not sure. Involved? I think he might have been more involved. It's it's hard to tell, but he, um, th- th- it seemed like there was a collision of people who had slightly different, um, so he wanted to, to improve the British manufacturing and Henry Cole wanted to stress the good design and mm. both those kind of things came together nicely. Um, but there was a, there was a Royal Commission who were set up to organize this and note the date they were set up on the 3rd of january 1850 okay. so it's not it's not long in terms of organizing a big event it's no. not that long before the event happens and there's quite an interesting mix of people uh, involved some of them are politicians like robert peel um there's charles barry the architect there is william cubitt president of the institute of civil engineers um but also there's a silk merchant um, from London. There's uh, Richard Westmacott sculptor. There's um, Leeds wool manufacturers. There's, you know, there's people from Goodness. all around the country, all sorts of different areas of expertise. And yeah. I think between them, quite a lot of pulling power and obviously worked quite well, efficiently together, it seems like. Um, and there was a lot of hesitation in the early days because... Uh, people were concerned about the cost and then someone pointed out that it should be self-financing and that the society of arts has already had exhibitions of manufacturing and they have done pretty well in terms of audiences so it should be able to finance itself and then suddenly there's much more enthusiasm yeah uh, for doing (laughs) good so so um 
what, what, so um, they pick a site in Hyde Park, mm-hmm. which is when the Times is outraged because it's going to ruin Hyde Park. Um, and there were particular things that people were worried about. One was the trees. Mm-hmm. There were some very big trees that were going to have to be cut down on this site. They have a competition for the building. Despite they've got Charles Barry on the panel, they have a competition. They have 230 different entries from different architects, and they don't really like any of them. And Great work. Um, because they're all permanent buildings that are going to be forever in the park and yeah. things. And then Joseph Paxton gets involved, and he wasn't on the commission, but he um is in london for a meeting with some other body and he's talking to someone who's on the commission and the guy's explaining the problem and paxton says well you should have a greenhouse something like this and he draws a little sketch of a greenhouse on a bit of blotting paper brilliant and he knew about greenhouses because he had already built in chatsworth chatsworth house um what was then the largest glass structure in britain and um so he said, look, this is this is ideal. You can build it over the trees and it's a temporary building. You can take it away afterwards. This solves both of your main issues. Good lad. So he hairs back up north and uh, draws some better plans. And he comes back to London um, not that long later with uh, walked up, worked up plans ready to build. And nine months to the day after he presents those plans, the exhibition opens. Whoa, that's really quick. It's super quick. And it's because it's all prefabricated. So it was a lot of it manufactured off-site, celebrating, again, the manufacturing processes, um, but brought together and slotted together. So um, there were either 2,000 or 5,000 people working on site to get it up. Obviously, there's a bit of difference between those two. Um, But um, they just sort of put it together and it wasn't a small building oh no 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 um 26 acres covered right. by now, which is okay, about 13 gonna... 13 football pitches right okay. and if How that many doesn't help buses? <laughs> <laughs> it's about a quarter of the size of wales <laughs> what no it's not <laughs> Oh my but god! That's, that's the next measurement up, isn't it? From a double decker yeah. bus. Is it, there's <laughs> a ping pong ball. It's a ping pong ball, a football, uh, a double decker bus, and the size of Wales. Those yeah. are our units of measurement. Yeah, those are our units. Yeah, particularly uh, London ones. Yeah, fab. Love it. So, it was on the south side of Hyde Park, okay. and if you if you know where the Albert Memorial is, mm-hmm. so just right by the Royal Albert Hall, it's the just sort of the other side of the road that runs north-south from him. Okay. So it runs along the, the bottom edge. So there's there's if you're going up from South Kent Tube Station, you go up Exhibition Road, mm-hmm. and then that carries into carries continues as a road that goes through the park. If yep. you had then turned right into the park, basically, if you look at a map, it now says Old Football Pitches Hyde Park, gotcha. that area there. So the right-hand side of West Carriage Drive, just below the Serpentine. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And it went from about West Carriage Drive up to uh, about halfway along that okay. sort of stretch uh, towards Hyde Park Corner. So it's, it's huge. Big. Um, and um, had 3,333 iron columns. <laughs> Very specific number. Why is it an odd number? Very That's precise. That's going to annoy me. <laughs> Sorry, that's me pronouncing the number wrong. 3,330. Oh, oh, that makes that makes me a lot happier. Yeah. Yeah. 205 <laughs> miles of sash bar supporting the windows oh, and things. Goodness. And a glazed surface area of 900,000 square feet. Wow. So they do like their statistics and they put these statistics onto some of the columns. They wrote them on Did they really? um, saying that's exactly what nerdy. it was. Which, yeah. Which, let's face it, you and I would be reading those. <laughs> yeah, because guides are the only people who care about things yeah. like that. We like, want to go, oh, oh, there's this many patterns 3,330, eh? Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, so the building itself was pretty spectacular. And the best thing I found to sort of show this now, I think, is 
if you go onto the Royal Parks website, they have a virtual reality thing that you can put yourself inside and look around. And it's, it's empty, obviously, without any exhibits in it. But even actually just looking at that, you can look up and look at the length of the building. You go, wow. And I think it's impressive to us. And we're used to glass buildings. Yeah. So for the people who went to see it then, it you know must have been absolutely kind of mind-blowing just as a as a structure wow. um i'm going in going in go in uh and there was a man called joseph greaterex who john greaterex greaterex who wrote a poem called joseph and his amazing crystal palace uh which is um is a nice precursor to to another joseph who comes along later on uh, but he says, at Rotten Row, around a tree, with Albert's help, did Mr. P, his stately pleasure dome design, the greatest greenhouse ever seen, a glass cathedral on the green beside the crystal serpentine. Wow. I love it. Have right. you made it? Have you oh, made yeah, it inside? Yeah, that, I was thinking, thinking about talking about a poet, but I love... Oh, wait, I've just gone inside. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is something isn't it so i've taken one still from that thing and i'll put the still in the blog but you can also go and have a look at it yourselves and then yeah you we'll put the link up to, to the things. vr that's yeah. fantastic oh my goodness but when people went obviously it was stuffed with things uh hundred thousand things to be precise <laughs> objects from all around the world 10 miles of displays of which about half was british Right. Um, so the western side, I think, was British, and the eastern side was everywhere else. And they were divided up into machinery, manufacturers, fine arts, and raw materials. And the it's too early for photographs, but the best kind of pictures we've got of it were pictures that were done at the time. Um, they were published as a thing called Dickinson's Comprehensive Pictures of the Great Exhibition. And what is obvious if you look at them is that the areas with the machinery look much less busy than the areas that are the products oh really so by far and away the busiest section was the manufacturers which is the products that have been made but it's quite nice that it's all the way through the whole process so there was for example actually outdoors an enormous lump of welsh coal okay. because it was welsh steam coal which was the thing that was powering the, the uh, not museums, what they called factories, yeah. to enable people to make all this stuff. So they were kind of, in some cases at least, looking at it from sort of cradle to grave of, of the process of manufacturing. Um, That's incredible. Queen Victoria said, there is every conceivable invention. <laughs> um, and of the things that were there, just some of my favourites. Um, in the main entrance hall, in fact, you can see this in that VR thing. There is a 27 foot high glass and crystal fountain. Mm. I think we should have more glass and crystal fountains. Yeah, absolutely. In the world. I think that is a thing we should have. 100%. Even more sparkly and glittering than that. Although, actually, maybe, yeah. So you've talked about the Koh-i-Noor diamond yep and when the koinor was put on display people weren't that wowed by it because it wasn't quite glittery enough and then after the exhibition it was cut down to, to make, make the diamond that we now know which is much more faceted and therefore more glittery in a way so we had the koinor but it wasn't wasn't quite the, the best thing on the indian display the thing that people loved most was the um uh the the canopy that sat the howdar that sat on the back of an elephant oh. and they they quite liked it partly because there was a stuffed elephant mm -hmm. which apparently was already they borrowed it from a museum that was in england already right but the the howdar the amazing uh um sort of hangings and the embroidery and the trappings that went with it were uh, a big a big talking point interesting um there was um, a, a walking stick with a complete set of surgical instruments. Oh, what? Like inside contained it? within it? Oh, my contained goodness. within it. Yep. Like a like a sort of, um, you know, Smith's umbrella shop 
um, hip flask or whatever, but actually surgical instruments just in case, you know. Uh, there was someone who had some sort of furniture designed for um, ships. So it kind of f- f- almost fold out. You open a cupboard and a sort of chest of drawers comes out and it's sort of flat packed furniture Brilliant. that you could put away. And Love it. Marvellous. Um, there was a magnificent machine called the Tempest Prognosticator. What's that? <laughs> Do you, would you like to hazard a guess at what a Tempest prognosticator okay. does? Well, pro- okay. Something to do with time. No? Mm, I'm, not thinking so te- much. I'm thinking Tempest, aren't I? Tempest. Yeah, something Tempest. Do- oh, is it like weather forecasting or something? Absolutely. Yay! It's a weather forecaster. <laughs> yep. And the way it worked is there were 12 um, glass bottles. In each glass bottle was a leech. Of course, naturally. When the leeches sensed a storm approaching, they would climb up the glass in their (laughs) bottle. And then if enough of them did that, it would somehow cause a bell to ring. Really? So approaching storms predicted by leeches. That's (laughs) brilliant. So leeches uh, could could tell the the weather, gosh. Yep. Uh, A man called George Merriweather constructed it that's nominative determinism in yeah. action isn't it Love absolutely it. it's just perfect um and he actually you know i hadn't even noticed <laughs> <laughs> he um he made a couple of different versions delightfully so the one that was on display in the exhibition was best mahogany and brass and silver and lovely ornate but he also did much much smaller versions so they were cheaper and you know more widely you could, um affordable smaller so, leeches yeah, um, in terms of marvellous inventions, there was also uh, a thing that was a, it was called the image telegraph, and it was kind of a precursor to a fax machine, so it could transmit images. Um, really? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Which how, then like, got... How? Um, that's uh, a very good question. I don't know. Okay. But over that's telegraph what, that's lines. That's Yeah, okay, lovely. That's a very yeah. I uh, I guess it's it's a sort of my best guess is it's a binary. I mean, how do printers work? How like dot dot matrix printers? How did they work? Okay, now we're definitely getting into realms so, of things that I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but it it the idea of the original one got improved a bit later by a man, an Italian priest called Giovanni Caselli, and he set up the first telefax service a bit later on. So. Interesting. It was a, it was, it was thing, but there was also a precursor to the bicycle. And a, pre- I, a precursor I, to the bicycle. Yeah, bicycle. I thought, I thought bicycles would have been around. Yeah. By then, but the, what was on display there was a velocipede, which was oh. a, a four-wheeled version I mean, of a bicycle. Good. Um, and it was designed by a man called Willard Sawyer who was based in Kent and um, was a carpenter, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound the most promising person to be building bicycles, but he used to build hobby horses. And then the sort of very first versions of bicycles seems to be like two wheelers with no pedals and no real seat. So you sort of, or you, you like you wheel along with your, you push along with your feet and then you lift them up and glide okay. on the wheels, presumably. And he made this much better version, which had four wheels. So it's much more stable he did have a slight problem that when he first did it to, to turn, to steer, you turn the wheels and then the wheels hit your legs. And that, that wasn't great, but he it's managed ideal, to resolve yeah. that. And so it was, okay. it was good. How bizarre. Yeah, I just assumed that bicycles, I mean, I suppose we think about the penny farthing, don't we? Which I guess is... Eight, is late 18. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting. Yeah. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. Just how sometimes our timelines of what, what things are when things are made is all kind of skew with um uh there was um more artistic things um there was a statue called the greek slave uh which was a nude statue of a lady i don't know why i say it that lady lady Uh, she was quite controversial Lovely. because she was nude Ooh. and she was a lady and uh, it caused a huge uproar. Um, I'm not, I don't quite get this. Something I read said that she was the first 
publicly displayed displayed statue of a fully nude woman. I don't think that's surely that's not true. Can't be true. Maybe a non mythical woman because because like women well, have been naked in sculptures for hundreds of years. Yes, unless unless they sort of ancient statues hadn't reappeared. You know, there's that oh, bit before, but but they would have done by then. So I think that's a nonsense. So ignore that. But I suspect that um, not necessarily there weren't a lot of. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, well, anyway, she also so she is a she's a, um, a sort of white stone looking very classical, like a Greek or Italian statue, you know. But she's shackled, and this you would think would be the uproar, not the fact that she was just naked and on display. Yeah. It, it was by an American sculptor called Hiram Powers, and. Um, you know, making making a connection between kind of slave trade and slavery. Yeah. Uh, if you have it with a, a, a white, him. you know, beautiful woman, then chained up. Um, and what I also quite like about it, she was on a revolving plinth. And oh. if you see her in the pictures, she's there's a little tent kind of behind her. So she presumably resolved a bit like a doner kebab inside her tent. <laughs> which inside her tent. Weird. So that so that the people who weren't going to get shocked by a a nipple. Uh, yes. or, a, or a butock were, were going to be uh, well, safe from the scary games yeah. of... Uh, I mean, it's true. Actually, she doesn't have any kind of wisps of scarf that might be clothing that is just scarf. Like, a, a, quite a lot of female nudes mm. do have a hint of kind of something, diaphanous something, don't they, about them? Yeah, and she, well, she doesn't. She's just yeah. got her handcuffs. Just her shackles. Tits up. On we go. So, yeah. Um... Chile thought long and hard about what to send, send, and they <laughs> <Okay>. sent. <laughs> well, you'll have to find out what they sent after this break. Right. So, what did Chile actually send? And they sent a massive lump of gold, just a massive Great. lump, fifty kilograms of gold. Brilliant. Just, just, just there you go <laughs> just that that's amazing uh, <laughs> and then i thought well hang hang on how big is 50 kilograms of gold it's not that big actually because it's very heavy gold yeah. um and uh not that long ago 2008 mark quinn actually made he'd already made a sculpture of kate moss the model mm. um and he redid that model crucially not for the great exhibition not for the Great Exhibition. No, no, for the British Museum <laughs> right, a long time okay. later. But he he redid his existing statue of Kate Moss in solid gold. And um, it was only 88 centimetres high. Which, oh. 88, so that's over three quarters of a metre. Yeah. But as a lump of gold. Yeah. But worth, you know, at that point, worth one and a half million. Uh, so... Or, or indeed the, the lump of chili. Not chili. Well done. Well done, Chili. The, say sort of four to five standard sized ingots of gold in one lump from, okay. from Chile. So, bravo. Good skills, Chile. I like it. Um, and I've saved this till till last. Um, <laughs> so we talked about Henry Cole already. And yeah. when was the last time that we talked about Henry Cole? About 20 minutes ago. Ah, uh, no, before that. Oh. The last episode. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Mm. Now not you that are... long ago. Not that long ago. No. Okay. Um, he wasn't anything to do with our postal guy, Reginald Bray, was he? No. no. But you're on the right lines. Am I? Seasonal. Seasonal. Christmas cards. Seasonal Christmas cards. And what oh, did we discover? Was he the cracker? No. 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 Christmas, Christmas cards. cards. Christmas. He did Christmas. He did the first Christmas cards. Okay. And. In amongst those Victorian Christmas cards, there is that whole strand of weird animal Dead birds, cards. hares riding, yep. riding bikes and all that, yep. So, in the Great Exhibition, uh, the German Customs Union sent a collection of stuffed animals arranged in tableau, such as kittens taking tea <laughs> and, <laughs> and ah. a frog having a shave. What?! Genuinely, who thinks these ideas up? What on earth is wrong with people? A frog having a shave? Frogs I mean, don't wait, have... frogs don't have beards. Which is the least because they're so they're so busy shaving all the time. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is 
genuinely what is wrong with people that is bonkers so <laughs> oh my goodness uh as queen victoria said every conceivable invention every conceivable in- actually that's not Everyone. as short as it no. a german accent i'm not gonna every con- no, no. <laughs> um also mr colt had lots of revolvers on oh, display yeah. always yeah, good and um there were there were people who did well out of the great exhibition um, there were people like the man who got the license to provide some of the refreshments. Um, who who do you think provided the drinks, refreshments? Drinks. Somebody like Mr. Schweppes or something. Mr. Schweppes, that's the Mr. one. Schweppes, yeah, Mr. Schweppes. And just over a million bottles of Schweppes, lemonade, ginger beer and soda water were drunk Amazing. during the exhibition. In total, £75,000 were... Yes, that's right. Um, were were spent on refreshments. Wow. Okay. Yeah, which included uh, also nine hundred and thirty-four bath buns. Nine hundred and thirty-four, six hundred and ninety-one bath buns. Nine hundred thirty-four thousand eaten. Yes, nine hundred thirty-four thousand <laughs> six hundred. I was like, I'm, I'm thinking, if nine hundred thirty-one <laughs> buns, doesn't they're not going down very well? <laughs> I'm not doing well with numbers. How many today. people visited in the entirety ah. of it? about six million wow okay so that's a million a month in a sense it was open six months which is a third of the population of britain at that time i mean okay not not evenly spread because some people went more than once and wasn't there a lady who walked like half the length of the country to go or something yes mary kalinick she walked from cornwall brilliant and presumably walked home again it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good old schlep. Come on, hopefully someone gave um, her a lift back. <laughs> Come on, Mary, I'm going well, that way, well, hopping. Quite possibly, because she was, she was then on, like, uh, talked about in the newspapers and right, okay. various things. So, yeah. Um, and the, the kind of the only way it was possible for um, that many people to get there was because of the railways. Uh, so we've got railways starting to come into London from the six, uh, 1830s, 1840s, you're getting railways. So people can travel from around the country. Um, and quite a lot of people got time off um, from their jobs. Truman's gave 300 employees two days leave and half a crown to great. go to the exhibition. Wilton's carpets. money to go as well. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, presumably because they had a something, Wilton's must have had a carpet on display and they yeah. wanted all of their employees to go and be, yeah. you know, and I suppose if the whole thing is, is about yeah giving you inspiration to do other things, I suppose you know if, if the companies believe that's going to happen, that you're going to go see something and bring that back into your daily work, why wouldn't you? Why well, wouldn't? Yeah, incentive. To Absolutely. Some people even paid for school kids to go. So there was oh. a bre- uh, yeah a brewery, Calvert Brewery in the city of London, uh, paid for and organised um, vans and uh, transport and things to take 124 pupils of the Bridge, Candlewick and Dowgate schools from the City of London uh, to go for the day. And then they went back um, home afterwards. They went and went back to the brewery and had dinner at the brewery. And then they sang the national anthem in a highly effective manner after dinner. Um, And (laughs) there were... 70 boys, 50 girls, a whole school outing in their blue and white uniforms with their scrubbed face. They were a charity school. Was it a blue so they, school, was it? Uh, not quite, but but still yeah. charity. Um, they had a, a sink near the classroom entrance so they could wash their faces and hands before they went into class, so they were always nice and clean. They sewed their own uniforms. Um, one of the people, who would have been a nine-year-old girl in that outing, was called Catherine Eddowes. Uh, so we we might come back to her another day. If people don't know who Catherine Eddowes is, that's quite a shocking name to hear, actually. She was yeah. one of the Ripper, uh, the Jack the Ripper's victims. That is... I'm going to rephrase that. I'm going to say she was one of the Whitechapel m- murders. Okay. Why is that? Because we don't even know that it was one person. So let's not define oh. those five women by the name of one okay. mythical right. character, I'm going to yeah. say. All right. So I think actually we should come back to that again another okay. day. All right. Let's so do that. Um, Gosh. It was... That's funny because I've never heard Catherine Eddowes' name outside of that of the story of, of her 
horrific murder. So that's really lovely to kind of almost put a bit she, of a life she behind had, a She had a good full life yeah. of really interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, exactly. But to find her just randomly in an event else. which is something else yeah um, yeah there's an aside there but let's not let's not get distracted by that yep. come back to that um, so it cost um, a certain amount to enter so the, the first day it cost four pounds to get in okay that's quite then a lot. it went it was a lot that was the opening day so that was the big fanfare hoo-ha royal presents blah 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 um from then on it cost five shillings right uh until towards the end of may uh and then after that it was one shilling monday to thursday two and six on fridays and five shillings on saturdays so they wanted to price it affordable for the people they want like they wanted the workers to come that was the whole point of the exhibition but they also didn't want too many workers to come who would put off the more fancy folks so the compromise was make it more expensive the fancy folks can come on a saturday when there's no hoi polloi and the workers can come during the week um and they therefore made not just self-financing uh they because it wasn't a plan to make a profit was it it wasn't it wasn't a profitable enterprise it was it was going to wash its face and do good things but not necessarily but not necessarily make, make a profit yeah and oh i've got too many bits of <laughs> papers and notes on the way in different places um so it made hundred eighty six thousand pounds wow equivalent to about 15 million in today's <gasps> money so i mean if you're thinking that that is a non non-profit making intention that's incredible it's yes it's a staggering amount i mean the 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 profit mostly like it wasn't a private company it was the the board of commission mm-hmm. the people who set it up and things so some of that money was then used to buy this area of land in south kensington mm-hmm. um some of it went into establishing other things some of it i believe is still goes to fund bursaries for students at imperial college oh, and things. Really? so there's still stuff going on that is directly kind of using that that cash having said that um punch magazine um printed cartoons all the way through the summer there were loads of cartoons relating to the great exhibition and uh, you know i'm sure they were making fun of it in all sorts of ways but towards the end they do a cartoon which is prince albert handing um joseph paxton his pudding is what they described it as but it's it's twenty thousand pounds which is paxton's share of the profits his pudding (laughs) all right (laughs) Um, uh, oh, Thomas Cook organised excursions mm-hmm. to go yeah. to. That was the beginning of sort of Thomas Cook as a travel agent, who uh, for many years a staple of the British High Street. I think has now has now gone again. And um, Karl Marx called it an emblem of the capitalist fetishism of commodities, which is a fantastic that sentence. Is a great phrase. You pick out some brilliant phrases. <laughs> um but you know he wasn't wrong it was it was celebrating stuff and it is absolutely like now we're kind of going well hang on maybe we don't need all this stuff maybe we should have less stuff less consumerism less consumption Hmm. but you know that was was the other end of that arc it was just getting going as as a as a you know stuff have more stuff basically um there was also in the grand on the grand opening day there is the the picture you can see of it has the royal family in the middle they're standing quite near the glass fountain there's a kind of dais where they're standing and there's one of those portraits where you can see individuals people's faces in the crowd and you can make out particular people who are there that day okay and um so most of the royal commission are visible you can pick them out on one side and then on the right hand side i think it is and there's um you can find this online or indeed if you're at the vna they have a lovely gallery all about their great exhibition with some of the objects that are on display and with joseph paxton's blotting paper sketch which is in a, a cupboard you have to open the door to see it properly but it's oh, really 
it's really lovely that it's still there, it still exists, and it's it looks very similar to the finished building, um, despite the fact he kind of just did it. You know, it, it's like um, Do you have to ask to see that, or, or no, no, no. Just... It's in the gallery. It's just in a cupboard. Okay. So, um, but they've also got a, a, a painting of I don't know if it's the original or a copy, but of this the painting of the sort of royal opening thing, hmm. and. In the front row of the crowd, there is a gentleman, a Chinese gentleman in a lovely blue silk outfit. Ooh. And the story is, that he was so nicely dressed, people assumed he was important. And they kept saying, come to the front, come to the front, come and be in the painting. And he kept saying, no, 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 no. And they went, yes, yes, no, 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 no. And he ends up, like, he's he's one away from the royal family. He's right at the oh, edge of the really? group. Um, and he was just coming, he'd printed out some flyers, um, to advertise his Chinese restaurant, which I think was wow. on a boat. He had brought his boat to London <laughs> and was Brilliant. setting up a Chinese restaurant. And there he ends up, pride of place in the uh, in the grid. Oh, I really uh, would love to just day. see him just lean over and slip a Chinese takeaway menu into Queen <laughs> Victoria's hand. That would be incredible. There you go, lovely. That's so funny. I'm also very heartened to know that in amongst the people who came to visit the busiest day. So um, it opened in May and it was on for six months, May, June, July, August, September, October. Yeah. So close the end of October. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the busiest day <clears throat> was the 7th of October when one time there was, where well, there was 109,000 people <gasps> visited in one day. Oh my goodness. Why, so no why wonder on that day particularly? Well, I like to think it's hardeningly close to the end of the exhibition. Right. So <laughs> I'm relieved it's not just me who goes to exhibitions the day before they shut. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's, I think it's basically that. It's funny you say that. It's been announced that the Yayoi Kusama exhibit at the Tate Modern is closing uh, finally after like three years. And I, yeah. I haven't seen it because I've never been able to get tickets. Uh, so I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to get tickets. So I've just bought tickets to go and see it like Yay! just before it ends. <laughs> Fabulous. I thought I was bad because I went about a month ago. <laughs> no, no, I, just, I mean, I have seen an exhibition of hers previously as well, so I wasn't so bothered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've still got to do it. Anyway, sorry. And I think also there's more stuff that's like that now in other settings. Like she may, she might have done the mirrored rooms first with the lights, but mm. they have, other people have kind of taken that idea and run with yeah, it in a way. Um, yeah. So no wonder it is an event that crops up all over the place because so many people saw it apart from this, including a man called Horace Greeley, who was editor of the New York Tribune, who sailed to England to come and see it. Uh, He spent five days there roaming and gazing at Will and still hadn't come close to seeing everything he hoped to see. (laughs) Wow. Um, But he then went home and he was quite um, prominent in the campaign to do something similar in New York and Four or five years later, New York had a similar sort of event in Bryant Park, okay. I think. Um, so it's, it's, you know, the, the idea gets taken on as the World Trade Fair and then moves around the world. And mm. uh, we've had versions of it ever since. And notably, World Trade Fair now, not manufacturing, but trade. It's sort of changed slightly. Um, but given this was a temporary building, once the exhibition closed... Then there was the debate about what to do with it, because Mm. although it was temporary, people quite liked it and they were like, well, maybe we should keep it. And lots of people came up with suggestions of what to do with it. My favourite one is that they said you should build, use the materials to build an a thousand foot high tower. It's basically the shard, isn't it? Yeah, it is, isn't it? But the shard goes, it's like fat at the bottom and goes up to a point. Mm. The picture of this one that the architect was posing is just like, it's like the Tower of Pisa. It's just... The um, same shape all the way up, out of glass. You think, oh, that's, that doesn't look a good idea. Great. Um, but eventually Paxton bought the building back off the commissioners mm-hmm. and dismantled it and took it down to South London, mm-hmm. which is where you can then go back to episode whatever it was when you and Emily were talking about the Crystal Palace. Yeah, which is literally uh, where because it gets it, its name from. It becomes the Crystal Palace. And if I'm in... not mistaken, there is still a sculpture of Joseph Paxton in Crystal Palace Park today. That sounds very likely. Yeah. Yeah. And he was inspired by the lily, lily leaves, 
and the arches that the the structure underneath a lily leaf and when he was building the one in devonshire in um, chatsworth house um he was pointing out that they were nice and strong and um the duke of devonshire at one point borrowed um paxton's uh seven or eight year old child annie and plonked her onto a lily leaf in oh. the conservatory at chatsworth oh, and it was fine absolutely fine and it could um paxton said well actually it could have held up something much heavier than annie and he said nature was the engineer nature had provided the leaf with longitudinal and transverse girders and supports that i borrowing from it have adapted in this wow. building so um, building on um yeah the yeah. engineering of of nature that that was there That's already amazing. I... and you well i was gonna say you can particularly in late summer you can just about see where it was because if you walk around that area of grass there are patches where the grass doesn't grow as well oh really and that's where the foundations are oh. so you can see some of the footprint that's so interesting of, i've never of the noticed that still. i have a have a wonder but question for you do you know about yeah. the toilets at the Great Exhibition. Yes. And I somehow managed to miss them. I, they were on my list to talk about. <laughs> it's one of my favourite things about the, uh, the Great Exhibition of the Loos. Obviously. <laughs> yes. So, t- well, what, what do you know about the Loos? Well, uh, to my understanding, it was the first place that there were public facilities, basically, public toilets. I think they were men only. I might be wrong about that. Ah, oh, that's I'm interesting. Not sure. Yeah, because, I wasn't most, at all surprised. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't actually know about, about the Great Exhibition. There might have been women too, but definitely when public facilities started in London, there was only ever men. And yep. you paid a penny to go yep. and relieve yourself, uh, which is where we get the phrase to spend a penny from now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something like just under a million visitors uh, paid. Six, 675,000 wow. people. Yeah. Which is a quite small proportion of the six million people. It's only one in ten. I suppose they were all used to going out and not not peeing in public services. And they drank lots of bottles of lemonade and then went home. Exactly. Yes. Um, But you also, for your penny, hmm. you got a clean toilet seat, a towel, a comb, and a shoe shine. Oh. You stick your feet under the doors while you're having a a wee. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. So, uh, yeah, and um, they had this, because they built over the trees, they also have this big problem with sparrows, and they didn't know what to do oh. about the sparrows. And they were scratching their brains, scratching their heads. And, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, eventually, Queen Victoria uh, asked the Duke of Wellington. The Duke of Wellington by then is, is um, getting on a bit, but living in Hyde Park Corner and taking mm. his daily walk down towards the building site and surveying the building works as they're going up and all this stuff. And he, Queen Victoria said, what do we do about the sparrows? He famously said, sparrow hawks, mom. Ah. So they got in some sparrow hawks who either killed or chased out the sparrows. And, you know, we still use them. Trafalgar Square, Roofs of Whitehall. It was a a very good idea from the Duke of Wellington. And there's one more poem. One more poem. So Samuel Warren wrote a poem called The Lily and the Bee, all about lily being representing beauty and art the bee standing for industry and labor and he said let the wandering winds blow freely o'er the site where shone so late the gleaming wonder of the world let worldwide pilgrims come in all times hereafter unto this sceptered isle this little world this precious stone set in a silver sea this blessed spot Splot, this blessed spot. <laughs> He's channeling his Shakespeare here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this blessed spot, this earth, this realm, this England, to that green spot, and pointing at their sons, all grown incredulous, say, Here it stood. Okay. <laughs> it's like the rest of it sets it all up nicely, and then here it stood. Yeah, yeah. It, I it's was a, here. <laughs> it was a, there it was, and now it's gone. That's brilliant. But there Very you funny. Yes. <laughs> now, so be I, be one of those worldwide pilgrims. I have another and question come to for Hyde you. Park Corner. Yes. Do you know where you can see something that was purchased at the Great Exhibition? Purchased. 
I'm imagining a fossilized bath bun. No. <laughs> uh, they so they no. must merch. I'm guessing. Um, not did they, merch. No, it was actually merch. a product that somebody uh, that somebody bought. Um, and I tell you, it is the perfumer um, or perfumer perfume. Per- yeah the the, the smelly the smelly people um florists on german street in the middle of their store they have a perfume counter and Mm -hmm. it's incredible they've got like because they've got beautiful bottles of perfume and they have the the bottles on the top and then at the bottom they have these little kind of scent um little discs infused with scent and a sort of glass bell jar over the top that you can kind of pick up and waft the scent towards you and that perfume counter was bought from the great exhibition Oh, yeah, I know. Nice. That's cool, isn't it? Do you think it was on display as a perf- as a as a counter, or was know. it being used to display something else? Mm. Like the way when shops shut, they sometimes sell the shop fittings. Well, I think it was. I think it was intended to sort of be a display case. It dis- yeah, uh, but yeah. that's what they use it for. Yeah. yeah. So you Very can good. See, and I'm sure there are other bits and pieces, and I'm sure it our listeners be. will know more and will tell us yeah, more. Yeah. Um, oh, but the that gates- is the one that I love for that. The gates, um, if you're standing on West Carriage Drive and you look towards Prince Albert, mm-hmm. the gates that are there were on display in the exhibition. Oh, there you go. Originally, they're really ornate. Two um, things. Worth, worth looking at. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, brilliant. I've always wanted to do a, an episode on it. Never quite got round to it. And um, you were the perfect person to explore that. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. It's a delightful thing that is... And we may never find out what it is full of because in true professional podcast style, uh, it got cut off before the end of the recording. I don't know what happened. I obviously pressed the button a bit too soon. So let's just assume she said it's full of fun and giggles and uh, salted caramel macaroons. Okay, there we go. Uh, So yeah, there's the great exhibition. I hope you enjoyed that, gang. Um... I haven't really got much else to tell you at this point. Just to say, have a wonderful week. We will be back next week. We're going to have a guest on next week. You are welcome. Um, I'm not going to tell you anything about that now, though. That is all the fun of the fair for next week. But after the uh, end of our little jingle here, I've just put in a little Easter egg for you. Just to show you the exact level of professionalism and togetherness that we record this podcast with. Anyway, see you next week. Love you lots. Bye. Oh, sorry. Do we need to? <laughs> I didn't notice it was started recording. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay, no worries. I was like, and? Uh, okay. <laughs>